The following letter, dated January 5th, is to be read from Bishop Fulda to all of the congregations at our Masses this weekend. Bishop writes, Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, When I announced last summer that the Diocese of Fargo would hold a diocesan synod, I explained our need to prayerfully reflect on the state of our diocese and how we can carry forward the mission that Jesus has entrusted to his church, a mission to live the gospel and to make disciples of all nations. Thank you to those of you who have responded already to the parish self-reflection survey that we made available over the last two months. Now we have arrived at another stage of preparation for our diocesan synod. Regional listening sessions will begin in mid-January and take place at 16 locations throughout the diocese. The closest one to us here in Grand Forks will be at St. Michael's Church, Thursday, February 2nd. We will begin each session with a time of prayer before our Lord and the Blessed Sacrament followed by time to reflect and discuss as a faith community on a few key questions. What are the things that are working well at your parish or diocese? What are the challenges to address in your parish or diocese? What is one step I might be called to take to respond? We won't be putting the tenets of our faith up for a vote, but we will consider how we are living the faith and how we can live it more fully in our diocese. I intend to be present at each of these listening sessions, and I hope you will make an effort to attend and participate in these gatherings to give input for our Synod. Based on this consultation process, and with the help of the Holy Spirit, we will continue our preparation for the Synodal Assembly in April 2024. This three-day gathering will include representation from throughout the diocese and will prayerfully discuss the mission and the needs that lie before us. Our diocesan synod, the first in 70 years, will be an occasion for all of us to listen to the voice of our Lord as we strive to follow him more closely and carry forward the work he has given his church to do in the Diocese of Fargo. The listening sessions that will now begin are meant to be a communal exercise of our whole diocesan family, with Christ at its center. So I look forward to seeing many of you in attendance. Be assured of my prayers, and God bless you. Sincerely yours in Christ, Bishop John Folda. Again, the local session will be held at St. Michael's here in Grand Forks, Thursday, February 2nd. Homily for the third Sunday in Ordinary Time, January 22nd, 2023, St. Mary's Church, Grand Forks. I'm guessing that for most people who hear today's readings, Zebulun and Naphtali are not household names. That's about as good a place to start as any with this homily. Jacob was one of the patriarchs from the book of Genesis and the grandson of Abraham. God changed Jacob's name to Israel, a name we've all heard countless times. Israel had 12 sons and each son was the head of a tribe, a portion of the extended family. Eventually, they all became large and populous groups. The tribe of Levi was dispersed among the others in order to provide religious services in the midst of their countrymen. As for the others, 
upon entering the promised land, each tribe was allotted a slice of the pie, so to speak, to deter the tribes from fighting with one another over territory. Two of the sons of Israel were Zebulun and Naphtali, and their provinces, if you will, were in the outer edges of Palestine. That's what the phrase Galilee of the Gentiles alludes to. The undisputed center of religious influence in Palestine was Jerusalem, made up of the tribe of Judah and home to the temple, the chief priests, and a majority of the scribes. A full-time scholar or practitioner of the Jewish faith was likely in Jerusalem, if not serving as a rabbi in a synagogue elsewhere. From this mindset, the farther a town was from Jerusalem, the more backwater and inconsequential it was. This explains the flippant comment St. Bartholomew once made when his buddies first told him about Jesus. Can anything good come from Nazareth? In the Gospel of Matthew, the starting point of Jesus' public ministry serves not only to fulfill the scriptural prophecy from Isaiah in today's first reading. It indicates the Lord's earnest desire to go first to people on the margins. Despite the opinion that Capernaum and Galilee were off the beaten path, the residents there had no reason to believe that they were second-class citizens in the kingdom of God, only entitled to receive the leftovers. There's a similar lesson for all of us. Just as Jesus chose not to surround himself with the trappings of Jerusalem as his home base, so we have no reason to be discouraged because of our own ethnicity or location. A popular credit card company has used the slogan, It's everywhere you want to be. In his church, Jesus is wherever on planet Earth we find ourselves. Moreover, Jesus lovingly seeks out all those on the fringes so that they will know they are as much at home with him as anyone else. What are the first two things Jesus did in this gospel reading? He proclaimed a message of repentance, picking up precisely where John the Baptist left off before being arrested, and he invited companions to join him. First of all, Christ's call to repentance carries with it a sort of urgency. If truth were a subjective thing, or molded and shaped according to our whims, Repentance would be emptied of its meaning. One could then argue, hey, as long as I'm not hurting anybody, I have no reason to repent. The instruction from Jesus today is clear. We cannot provide, all by ourselves, the transformation we need. We are reminded of what Jesus told Nicodemus about the new life of baptism in John's Gospel. You must be born from above. Today, commonly as a day of prayer for priestly vocations, as we recall the immediate and genuine response of Andrew, Simon Peter, James, and John to Jesus. The scene could hardly be more dramatic as each man left behind his boat, gear, and families. What's more, none of them dragged his net along with them in case they came upon an inviting lake. Jesus provided no guarantees of career or lodging. We see a complete detachment from their past, to the point that each man not only changed locales, 
but left the tools of their trade behind. But the Lord did not intend for them to live in idleness. They were still fishers, but of their brothers and sisters. The need for shepherds to guide the flock of Jesus Christ remains constant. A vibrant and healthy faith community will raise up young people who are willing to hear what God is asking of them and to discern it carefully. God willing, we have one man in our diocese, Deacon Matt Kensock, who will be ordained a priest on the first Saturday in June. Deacon Matt has been serving a pastoral year at our neighboring parish of St. Michael's since last summer and has been a great help to them. In addition, Another young gentleman named Seth Shervine from Langdon is scheduled to be ordained a transitional deacon around the same time. Please continue to remember them and all those in religious formation in your prayers. There's one last observation I want to make about the second reading today. Early on, some of the Christians in the city of Corinth were setting up opposing camps based on who their favorite preacher was. St. Paul made it clear that the faithful were not to think of themselves as members of the church of Peter, Apollos, or Paul. Christ is the one who saves and unites us. Therefore, he alone deserves top billing. By way of analogy, it is not helpful to overinflate a priest's ego by referring singularly to a parish as Father So-and-So's Church. We appreciate the fraternal charity and rejoice in the support of your prayers, but the idea is that the priest, in a sense, is to disappear at the altar, so that it is Jesus who ministers to us through him. That is not to say that the Lord squashes a priest's personality or sense of humor, but those traits are not ultimately the origins of divine grace. I am called to be an instrument like a pencil in God's hand. Many years ago, when the priest would face ad orientem during Mass, that is, the same direction as the congregation, as here at St. Mary's when the high altar was back against the wall, this sensibility was more clearly illustrated. Many of you heard of, of the recent announcement from the diocese that there is an investigation into Father Neil Pfeiffer rector of St. James Basilica in Jamestown, regarding an allegation made against him. None of us knows the veracity of the claim. We must come to the aid of every victim where there are victims. That being said, the morale of many of us diocesan priests is currently low. We fear how vulnerable our own ministry feels. The temptation is to withdraw and remain distant from the people of God out of self-preservation. But is that what Jesus expects of us? Will people discover Christ's love for them in that kind of climate? To put it simply, when a parish has a priest who, despite his quirks and flaws, is a faithful servant, we need to give thanks to God who gave him the gifts he possesses. Amen.